Uh, what an incredible message to a song, uh, My Jesus, I Will Not Trade You. Um, I'd like to welcome you here this morning. Uh, my name's Luke, if you don't know me. I'm the student pastor here at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, and we have enjoyed a wonderful weekend uh, getting to know one another more and more and learning, growing in our relationships uh, with Jesus. Um, the passage that we're going to be in today is 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting, starting in verse 8. So if you'll turn to that, the theme of the entire weekend has been uh, focusing on the faithfulness of God. So let me go ahead and, and pray, and then we'll read this passage. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for uh, inspiring this word to be here, to teach us, to guide us, to strengthen us. I just pray that as we gather together, uh, that you would use this time, that you would draw near us, that it would not be about my voice or my thoughts, my insight, but that it would be wholly about your voice and your thoughts, your insight to us, your instructions to us. So I just pray that you would be near us, that you would be with us uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. If, you would, uh, if you're able to, please stand with me in reverence to the word of God. Verse 8 begins. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so a little bit about this, uh, the setting of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is believed to be the last letter that Paul writes uh, that we have. It was written during uh, the last of his imprisonments. He was in Rome. Uh, we know that Paul likely had two imprisonments in Rome, one where he was uh, in a house, uh, under house arrest. Uh, the other, he was um, awaiting his execution. It was after his trial. And, and, the, and Paul writes this letter after the verdict for his life has already been handed down, he knows what his end is. And he writes to Timothy, who's been his disciple. Now, Timothy uh, was quite a bit younger than Paul, and, and Paul had given him different instructions to do different things, working in Corinth, and this is the second letter that we have written to Timothy. But what's important to know is, is what Paul stresses in this chapter and in the book at large. He begins early on in the, in the first chapter, in verse 5 and 6, he talks about how Timothy had been raised by his mother and grandmother in the faith. And then encouraging him further, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. 
but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin. Okay, so Paul is saying to Timothy, focus on the gospel. There had been many people who had come into the church. There had been many people who had gotten involved with the teaching because um, Paul had gathered quite a following, people who listened to what he said, and and Paul had a tremendous impact being able to speak into these people's lives. And there were people who saw what Paul was able to do and thought, wow, if I could have that sort of gathering or or that many followers, if if I could speak and, and gather that sort of audience, I bet I could wield that for power or for popularity, or I bet I could make a a ton of money off that sort of thing. So people began to do it. They would um, make less and less about who Jesus was, and they would talk more and more and more about themselves. And Paul here at the very end of his life says, Timothy, as you work and as you teach in the church, do not become one of those people. Stress the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel, that Jesus was enthroned in heaven. But because of the love with which God has for us, he laid aside his glory, taking on flesh and walking among us, being obedient to the Father to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the reason that, he, that Jesus needed to come was that we have a problem. We have a sin problem. There, back in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve were told that they could enjoy all of, the, all of the garden that God had created for them and them to live in. And yet they chose to redefine what good was. God said, these things are good, do not eat of this tree. Please obey me. And Eve and Adam said, you know what? We know what God says is good, but we think that it would be better if we superseded his authority, if we set up our own kingdom where we were lords and we would be equals with God. He could have his kingdom and we could have our kingdom, and it's to disastrous effect. And as Derek was sharing with us last night, there there are now these two kingdoms, right? There's the kingdom of heaven, the reign of heaven, the the rule of heaven, and then there's the kingdom of this world. All those people who have gathered together and say, we reject God's lordship. Now what we believe, what we know is that God is sovereign. God is in control overall. And so he could take back over the kingdom of the world through power and through might, but it would be at the cost of those people who created. And the Bible teaches us that the Lord loved us. So instead of invading and conquering and destroying and cutting off the kingdom of the world and all of its inhabitants, he sends Jesus to walk among it. And he lays aside his glory and all the honor that he's getting 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if time exists that way in heaven. Whatever the case is, for all of eternity, these these angels are surrounding him saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he steps away from their praise and he walks among people 
who constantly belittle and reject, persecute, and murder him. And he knows that's going to happen. And at any point, he could have stopped it. But he chose to do it, so he gave his life in exchange for ours. If you look at verse 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ. Now, we know Jesus Christ as a person who lived about 2,000 years ago, but Jesus Christ is a name with a meaning. Jesus means Yahweh will bring salvation or Jehovah will bring salvation. Jehovah saves. And Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah, the one sent to bring that salvation. From long ago, from the end of Genesis 3, God said to Eve, I will send, I will from your lines, from a, a descendant of you will come and he'll stomp the head of the serpent. He'll crush evil, but evil, the serpent, will bite him on the heel. Okay? So he'll give his life in exchange to, to crush evil. And so Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise, showing that God is faithful. So his name is a promise. The Lord sent one who will bring salvation. Also, risen from the dead. So Jesus comes with incredible power, but not power like we see and elevate, right? Like we love fame. We love visible accolades and strength and power. And Jesus came with meekness and with humility. And he allowed his life to be laid down So if you think about the cross and what happens, so Jesus not only just dies, but Philippians 2 uh, explains that he endured death, even death on a cross. If you think about what that was like, much has been made of the physical pain of it, how he was flogged 39 times, how his back would just be shredded. And he carries this heavy wooden cross up a hill. He can't even carry it, so have someone step in and, and take it the rest of the way. And they nail him through the hands and the feet and leave him up there for three hours until he suffocates because he's unable to get the strength to pull himself up for a breath. Okay, so it's extremely physically painful. But that's not the end of it. A lot of times we just talk about the physical pain and we just leave it there. But if you think about also the emotional pain, he loves these people. As as the last time that Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he looks over the city and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to be like a, a mother hen who gathers you as chicks under my wings, but you have rejected me. And the entirety of the Old Testament, the the prophets are always saying of the the love that Jesus that, that God has for his people. Hosea uses the image of a son. And then Jesus carries that, those language even, even further, the story of the prodigal son, right? The son who says, I, I literally can't wait for you to die. Give me all of your, my inheritance so that I can go spend it while I've still got my youth dead. Like, and, the, and the father has such love for his child, right? And we just say, no, thank you. I have no interest in a relationship. I want to be my own king. And Jesus doesn't come to destroy us, but to save us. 
So he's, over, he's on the cross, and the people surround, and they begin to make fun, and they're mocking him, and they're saying, if you are who you say you are, just come on off that tree. So everyone is there laughing and humiliating, and then even worse than that, he, he endures, he realizes, he feels separation from the Father as he's never felt, right? In all of eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have been in this perfect harmony. And then on the cross, all of the weight and all of the shame and all of the sin of the entire world is laid upon his shoulders and the Father turns away from him. And Jesus cries out in agony, Father, why have you forsaken me? And he endures separation from God so that we wouldn't have to be separated from God. And then all of the weight, the physical and the emotional and the separation from life itself crushes him to death. And he dies there on the tree. What power does it take to raise him back to life again? Right? What power does it take to put life back into him? It takes the very power of God, the infinite power of God, to raise him back after enduring the infinite wrath of God on our behalf. So when it says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, it's saying, remember the one that Jesus, or remember the one that the Lord sent to bring you salvation and the power with which he worked in his resurrection, the offspring of David. Now, if you look at 2 Samuel 7, God makes a promise to David, this this king of Israel, this one who's it it says, had had a heart after God's own heart. And David comes to the Lord and says, I, I'd love to build you a house. I'd love to build you a temple. I've got a house, and, 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 and I feel like you, should have a, you shouldn't live in a tent. like you, you live in the tabernacle, and that's great, but I want you to dwell permanently with us. And God says, yeah, hey, David, it's great that it was in your heart to build me a, a, a home, a house. Um, I'm going to have your son build that house. And then he says, David, I will, from your lineage, put a king on the throne forever. And he'll reign over all things. And he'll be called the son of David. That's a promise that God makes. That as part of his plan to reconcile all people to himself, he makes these promises, right? Not just to David, but to Moses He promises to the righteous he will bring blessing and to the unrighteous he'll bring a curse. Through Abraham he says, I will use your family to bless the entire world. To Noah he says, I will not bring destruction upon the world until I I make a way of salvation. To to Adam and Eve we talked about the, the snake where He promised that there would be an offspring who would crush evil at his own expense. All right, so so when we're talking about faithfulness, we're talking about God's trustworthiness. God did not have to come and join in our struggle. He's completely justified in saying, 
I am righteous and you are not. And I tried to pull you to myself and you reject me. And he'd be completely justified in cutting us off and just starting all over again and creating a new creation that loves him and worships him as he deserves. But because of his love, he does not do it. He joins in our struggle. And so that's the struggle that Paul is engaged in. Paul has become a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's following in the footsteps of Jesus. He's not bringing honor and praise to himself. In 2 Corinthians, there's a group of teachers who comes in, like the ones mentioned in 2 Timothy. They're making much of themselves. They're bragging about themselves. And what Paul does is he, he finishes the book bragging about his weakness. He's bragging about his weakness. He's telling me, let me tell you how weak I am. Let me tell you about my diseases and the times I've been cast out and the times I've been thrown away. He even gets, he even opens up. He's humble enough to, to write a letter or at the end of that letter in 2 Corinthians where he says, you know, there's this time that I have this thorn in the flesh, this thing that causes me such pain, and I cried out to the Lord three times to remove it. And the Lord says, I'm faithful. My grace is sufficient for you. That my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Okay? So this is what Paul believes. This is what Paul's working towards. And Paul's at the very end of his race. And he's sharing these things with Timothy. Okay? He's saying the Lord is faithful. And he's saying, Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. The prison, I'm, a, I'm a prisoner because I've followed in the footsteps of Jesus. Don't think, well, Paul's a prisoner. Something might not, must have not gone right in his ministry because things are not going really smooth. He's saying, Timothy, I'm following in the footsteps of our Savior. So when things are not going well, when things are going bad and the world's attacking me, when the world's attacking Christians, don't think that we're not doing it correctly. We're following in the footsteps of our Savior. Okay? So, in verse, uh, and that's why in verse 11 he says, these things are trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. As I was reading through this, um, I thought about one of my favorite books. Uh, it's part of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in this book, there's a, there's a young boy who is deceived. Um, there's the white witch, uh, which is the whole book is built to uh, be an analogy to Jesus Christ and his love for us. So there, there's a, a boy who's deceived by the white witch, and, and she's this figure of uh, Satan and of evil. And he, he buys into to what she's selling, right? He, want, he, he can have everything on his own terms. He can be lord of his own life. And that works out until he realizes the whole thing's a lie. And now he's like enslaved and entangled uh, with what she's got going on. So he's able to physically run away. So he runs away and he eventually meets up with his family. And they celebrate 
him being back, and they're like, good, our, our, our brother's returned. But then the white witch shows up, and she says, he's mine. He subjected himself into my rule, into my reign. He's in my kingdom now. So he can run off physically, but I own him. And I'm going to take him back. And Aslan, the, the figure that's the, the Christ figure that C.S. Lewis wrote in there, he's the Lord over the whole world. He's the creator of the creation. He's the one who spoke this world into being. And he steps forward and he says, I'll give my life instead of his. And the white witch is thrilled. She's like, I really didn't care about him. I didn't care about this kid. I was just going in there to grab him away to just, you know, make him hurt, make him feel the pain. But I just stumbled into, like, the mother load. You know, like, I... The Lord is, is coming, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to put him to death, and then I'll be able to, like, they won't have any power to withstand me. I'll be able to come and, like, conquer them. And she does, and, and she takes him, and she humiliates him and, and kills him, and then she goes out on her conquest. But then the lion, Aslan, is raised again from the dead with this power that conquers over death, so Edmund, the boy, is free, and Aslan's free, and then they, they're able to defeat the White Witch. But there's this really incredible, beautiful, powerful, and true picture about what happens there, right? So we are in our sin. Isaiah 53 says we're like uh, sheep, just wandering, pursuing our own desires. And the Lord sends him, right? And Jesus comes. And it's like... Uh, I, I love cowboy movies. The John, there's a John Wayne movie where he gets captured and uh, the good guys capture uh, the lead bad guy and they have this switch, right? And it, it takes place over a bridge. And, they, and so they're walking towards each other, right? There's this prisoner exchange. And they're walking and the, the, and the guy goes by and then John Wayne stops. Or he doesn't stop, but he actually tackles the guy into a river, but that's a whole nother. Watch the movie. It's a good movie. Uh, um, so they're, they're coming in, and it's like this prisoner exchange. But think about Jesus giving his life for you in a, in a prisoner exchange. If you walked up to it, you know, and you're getting to the point where you, you cross, and he's going to take your death and your sin and your shame, and you stop and you think, but I, I don't want to go to the Lord. I don't want to walk into freedom. You know, I'm, I'm going to just go back. I'm going to deny him, right? And all that he's done for me... I, I understand what's being offered, that I could have a relationship with my creator, the one who loves me, the one who knows me, the one who forgives me, even though he knows my, my deepest, darkest sin, my, my deepest, darkest disappointments, my, my greatest shame. Even though he knows that shame, he still loves me. You know what? I, I'm not going to follow through. I'm just going to go back to my sin. Paul says... To, to those who deny him, he will deny us. And that's powerful, right? It, it's shown, it, it's not just Jesus' death just magically covers all people, the people who love him and the people who don't. Only those who 
accept. Only the ones who see Jesus coming, and, and as Derek told us last night, like those who find a treasure in a field and are willing to give up everything, everything in the old life, so that they can have this new thing. And just go over here and say, yes, I'm, I'm coming into the, the freedom that, that, that Jesus has bought for me. Right? And as we're here, we, we learn to grow in, in this relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's an incredible thing. And so as we're standing over here and we see Jesus go over there on our behalf, and he dies on our behalf, and he's raised again, and he comes back over here. Now, the, the reason why that's important is because Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross and follow me. Right? We're not called to a spiritually sedentary lifestyle where we just get saved and then we veg out on earth until we die and then we get to go to heaven. We're called into an active relationship. Like a, a, to be a participant in the kingdom of heaven. To become a participant for what the Lord is doing. And that's such an incredible, joyous, wonderful life that Paul was experiencing, right? And so what Paul was doing is, is God had ordered him to take up his cross and follow after Jesus. And so he was doing the, the same thing that Jesus was doing, right? He was humble, he was low, and he was going into places where they were attacking him, they were reviling him, even to the point of death. So he's there in the prison cell, and he's writing this letter, and he says, I have confidence that Jesus will be faithful. I have confidence in the Lord, right? Faith is not a leap into the dark, Faith is a response to the promises of God. So Paul's over here. He's at the, he's at the very brink of, of death. And we recall in, in 2 Corinthians, he says in, in chapter 4, that this light and momentary affliction is achieving for us a weight and glory beyond all comparison. So he's been beat up, shipwrecked, thrown out, cast out, imprisoned, and about to be executed, and he calls it a light, light and momentary affliction compared to what he has in the kingdom of heaven. That's important to think about. Because as we're, as we're walking, as we're standing over here where Timothy's at, we've come into, we've accepted what Jesus has done for us, but we're not quite, you know, fully walking it out. If you're in that place. And it looks like what, what Paul is experiencing looks like a lot of loss. It looks like a lot of affliction. It looks like a long time. And Paul says, yes, but compared to what God is offering, in time, it is a small length. And in heaviness, it is a lightweight. Compared to the overwhelming, surpassing glory of knowing God intimately and infinitely. 
right? And he's given us these precious promises. God did not have to, but he bound himself to us with his word, right? And because he's faithful, he's going to see it through. And so we do not have our expectation and our faith and our own righteousness and our own actions and our own ability to deserve it. Our full expectation is in the promise. Because if we trust God in the promise, he's never going to be faithless. But even David was faithless, right? Even the one to whom God made this incredible promise. A little after 2 Samuel 7, I think it's two or three chapters later, he's on the roof of his palace, he's looking out sees his neighbor's wife, and instead of turning aside, instead of loving uh, his wife, or instead of loving his family, and instead of loving his neighbor and his family, he says, I want that person. I'm going to rule over it, her. I'm going to objectify her. I'm going to turn her. Instead of a person that God has created, I'm going to turn her into an object to gratify my desires, which is the opposite of the gospel. That's the rule of the kingdom of this world, right? So like like instead of seeing other people as made in the image of God, we see them as objects that can make us feel how we want to feel and and, and have the lifestyle we want to have. And so he takes her in and he sleeps with her and then he has her husband murdered to cover up the whole thing. And if relationship with God was based on our faithfulness, David would be cut out right there. He'd run so well. He had done so well up until that point. But he tripped and he fell and he failed. Or Abraham, right? He's got this incredible promise, I will make for you. Uh, You know, I'll bless all nations through you. And all of Israel, they're like, we're children of Abraham. But he didn't trust God. He, He didn't trust God to bring about what God said he was going to do. He tried to make it happen. Sometimes we try to make things happen. We try to work, and and God says, I'm going to do this thing. And you say, well, God, you're not doing it in my time, so I'm going to do it for myself. I don't trust that you're going to do it in the right timing. I don't trust that you're going to do it the right way, so I'm going to do it. And that's the kingdom of this world, right? So even Abraham, even David were faithless. Even Paul, but not Jesus. He was faithful to his promises. And because of that, when he promises that those who call on his name will have salvation, we don't have to worry. He doesn't say 98% of the people who call on my name, who trust me for salvation, will be saved. Because if so, our entire life would be racked with the anxiety of, am I in that 2% who call on his name and get left out? No, he says, to all of those who trust in me, proclaim me as Lord of their lives, who in the exchange leave the kingdom of the world and enter into the kingdom of heaven under God's rule, all of those people will have salvation. And that is incredible news. Okay? 
incredible news, and it comes with a purpose. To go and to make disciples. Not of ourselves, right? The world doesn't need any more Luke Southalls running around. The Lord needs more disciples of Jesus Christ, right? Before we go and make disciples, we've got to look and study our lives. Paul's writings are full of people who wanted to make disciples of themselves, who wanted to make their name great. And he says, I'll have none of it. If you're not making disciples of Jesus, then don't make disciples. Jesus even said to the Pharisees, you travel over many waters, you go a long way, you work really hard to make one disciple, and you make him a worse son of hell than you are. All right? So if we're going to make disciples, it's got to be through the gospel, right? You think Paul loved the pain? No, he looked through the pain at Jesus and he trusted Jesus. He didn't love the pain. He was grateful in the pain. He was thankful in the pain. He was joyful on the pain, but in the pain, but all of that was dependent on Jesus' faithfulness, looking forward to a forward hope. He said it himself. He said, if there is no resurrection, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then we are to be pitied above all men. But since there is a resurrection, we have the greatest hope. All right? So think about the journey. Whether you're over here and you're under the domain of darkness, right? If you're enslaved to your sin and you're hearing for the first time or the second time or maybe the a millionth time, and, and you're, but you're really hearing it for, you know, you're really hearing it for the first time, that Jesus loves you and he's, he has given his life for yours. Or whether you're a Timothy and you're growing like many of the youth are and you've accepted what Jesus has done for you and you're excited and you're like, now, now what? You know, there are a lot of people teaching a lot of things. What do I do? Or whether you're in a situation like Paul where you've trusted Jesus into a dangerous situation. And the only way, the only way that you're going to make it through this situation is if he comes through in a miraculous way. Whatever the case is on that spectrum of walk with Christ, this is the truth that you need to hear. God is faithful to his own promises. He will come through and in the right time. Now, how we respond to his faithfulness is important. Do we believe it or do we reject it? Do we accept it or do we deny it? Do we accept what he's doing for us on the cross? Do we accept his challenge to go and make disciples? Do we accept that the gospel is what people need to hear, even if it puts me in a dangerous or difficult or hard situation? Whatever the case is, this passage is clear. God is faithful to his promises. And later on in 2 Timothy, Paul gives us this incredible passage as he's inspired by the word of God. 
Uh, one more thing. So think about Paul's life, right? Paul's in jail. Things are winding down. Satan's got to be relieved. It's like, finally, I've got him in a room. I've got him away from the guards that he's trying to witness to. His execution orders are come down. I will soon be rid of Paul and his teaching. No one will know who this guy is. We'll just let it pass. I'll have won. Satan's got to be overjoyed by that. But Paul writes this letter, and he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. What Satan wasn't counting on is that God was going to use Paul, that God was inspiring Paul to write these books and entering it into the word of God, which Isaiah 40 promises will go out like the grass will fade, the flowers will fade, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. And, and, and God, in Paul's struggle, is, God is cementing Paul's legacy. It's 2,000 years later, and we're reading the words that he said, right? He's just pointing to Jesus, and he says, look at Jesus. Jesus is faithful, Timothy. Throughout your whole life, just turn to him. Spend time in his word. Focus on him. Learn about him. Tell other people to do the same. If other people are in the church, and they're making much of themselves, that they're talking much about who they are, and they're saying, here, follow me. Don't worry about following Jesus. Don't allow it. Push people towards Jesus. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're in a hard place and and you feel like Satan's rejoicing over your life. But just stay focused on Jesus. All right? Just stay focused on Jesus. He will be faithful. I'm going to go ahead and close it right there. But wherever this morning finds you and wherever this passage finds you, I don't know how you respond to that because your relationship with God, where you are in that journey, indicates how you're to respond to that. Maybe this morning you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never called on his name. You've been told that he's coming, that he's come that he's laid down his life, that he's risen again, and he's offering you new life. And yet you've never truly believed him, you've never truly followed him, you've never truly said, he is my Lord and I will pursue his ways. If that's the case, I would encourage you to today come and talk with uh, one of the pastors down front and say, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I want him to be in control. And I want to live under his reign, under his protection, and trust that he's going to work all of these things out. Maybe you need someone to pray with you, to encourage you, if you're in a difficult situation, if you're in a hard situation, and you just say, I feel like I'm Paul in this, in this very tough situation, and I, and I just am starting to slip in my faithfulness. I'm starting to forget that God is always dependable. He's always trustworthy. He's always going to bring his promises true. 
and I just need someone to pray for me and, and encourage me in these things. If that's the case, then um, grab a friend and come down to the altar, kneel here, or come and talk to a pastor, and, and we'll pray with you. Whatever else, whether you're just going to stand there and think about the faithfulness of God and just sing his praises because he deserves it and he's worthy of it. Whatever the case is, I pray that you would respond to what the Lord is doing in your life.